Volume the Third, Chapter One of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Diaz the Second. Helen by Maria Edgeworth. Volume the Third, Chapter One. The overwrought state of Helen's feelings was relieved by a walk with Beauclair not in the dressed part of the park, but in what was generally undiscovered country, a dingle, a bosky dale, which he had found out in his rambles, and which, though so little distant from the busy hum of men, had a wonderful air of romantic seclusion and stillness, the stillness of evening. The sun had not set, its rich red light yet lingered on the still remaining autumn tint upon the trees. The birds hopped fearlessly from bow to bow, as if this sweet spot were all their own. The cattle were quietly grazing below, or slowly winding their way to the watering place. By degrees, the sounds of evening faded away upon the ear, a faint chirrup here and there, not yet gone to roost, and now only the humming of the flies over the water were to be heard. It was perfect repose, and Beauclerc and Helen sat down on the bank to enjoy it together, the sympathy of the woman he loved, especially in his enjoyment of the beauties of nature, was to Beauclair an absolute necessary of life. Nor would he have been contented with that show-taste for the picturesque, which is, as he knew, merely one of a modern young lady's many accomplishments. Helen's taste was natural, and he was glad to feel it so true. And for him here alone expressed with such peculiar heightened feeling as if she had in all nature now a new sense of delight. He had brought her here in hopes that she would be struck with this spot, not only because it was beautiful in itself and his discovery, but because it was like another bushy dale and bosky born of which he had been from childhood fond, in another place of which he hoped she would soon be mistress. Soon, very soon, Helen, he repeated in a tone which could not be heard by her with indifference. He said that some of his friends in London told him that the report of their intended union had been spread everywhere by Lady Catherine Hawksby, probably, as Cecilia, when Lady Castlefort departed, had confided to her to settle her mind about Beauclerc that he was coming over as Miss Stanley's acknowledged lover. And since the report had been so spread, the sooner the marriage took place, the better, at least. It was a plea which Beauclerc failed not to urge, and Helen's delicacy failed not to feel. She sighed, she smiled. The day was named, and the moment she consented to be his, nothing could be thought of but him. Yet even while he poured out all his soul, while he enjoyed the satisfaction there is in perfect unreservedness of confidence, Helen felt a pain mixed with her pleasure. She felt there was one thing she could not tell him, he who had told her everything, all his faults and follies. Oh, why, thought she, why cannot I tell him everything, I who have no secrets of my own, why should I be forced to keep the secrets of another? In confusion, scarcely finished, these ideas came across her mind, and she sighed deeply. 
Beauclair asked why, and she could not tell him. She was silent, and he did not reiterate the indiscreet question. He was sure she thought of Lady Davenant, and he now spoke of the regret he felt, that she could not be present at their marriage, and Lord Davenant too. Beauclair said he hoped that Lord Davenant, who loved Helen as if she were his own, daughter would have been the person to act as her father at the ceremony, but the general, his friend, and hers would now. Beauclerc said, give her to him, and would, he was sure, take pleasure in thus publicly marking his approbation of his ward's choice. They rose, and going down the path to the river's side, they reached a little cove where he had moored his boat and they returned home by water, the moon just visible, the air so still, all so placid, so delightful, and Beauclair so happy, that she could not but be happy, yes, quite happy too. They reached the shore just as the lamps were lighting in the house. As they went in, they met the general, who said, In good time, and he smiled on Helen as she passed. It is all settled, whispered Beauclair to him, and you are to give her away. With pleasure, said the general. As Helen went upstairs, she said to herself, I understand the general's smile. He thinks I have followed his advice. He thinks I have told all, and I, I can only be silent. There was a great dinner party, but the general, not thinking Cecilia quite equal to it, had engaged Mrs. Holdernese, a relation of his own, to do the honors of the day. Lady Cecilia came into the drawing-room in the evening, but after paying her compliments to the company, she gladly followed the general's advice and retired to the music room. Helen went with her, and Beauclerc followed. Lady Cecilia sat down to play at Ecarte with him, and Helen tuned her harp. The general came in for a few minutes. He said to escape from two young ladies, who had talked him half-dead about craniology. He stood leaning on the mantelpiece and looked over the game. Lady Cecilia wanted counters, and she begged Beauclerc to look for some which she believed he would find in the drawer of a table that was behind him. Beauclerc opened the drawer, but no sooner had he done so than in admiration of something he discovered there, he exclaimed, Beautiful, beautiful, and how light! It was the miniature of Helen, and besides the miniature, further back in the drawer, Lady Cecilia saw, How quick is the eye of guilty fear! Could it be? Yes, one of the fatal letters, the letter. Nothing but the picture had yet been seen by the general, or by Beauclerc. Lady Cecilia stretched behind her husband, whose eyes were upon the miniature, and closed the drawer. It was all she could do. It was impossible for her to reach the letter. Beauclerc, holding the picture to the light, repeated, Beautiful. Who did it? Whom is it for? General, look. Do you know it? Yes, to be sure, replied the general. Miss Stanley, you have seen it before? Yes, said the general coldly. It is very like. Who did it? I did it, cried Lady Cecilia, who now recovered her voice. You, my dear Lady Cecilia, whom for? For me? Is it for me? For you? It may be hereafter, perhaps. Oh, thank you, my dear Lady Cecilia, cried Beauclerc. If you behave well, perhaps, added she. The general heard in his wife's tremulous tone, and saw in her half-confusion, half-attempt at playfulness, only an amiable anxiety to save her friend. 
and to give her time to recover from her dismay, he at once perceived that Helen had not followed the course he had suggested, that she had not told Beauclerc, and did not intend that he should be told the whole truth. The general looked extremely grave. Beauclerc gave a glance around the room. Here is some mystery, said he, now first seeing Helen's disconcerted countenance. Then he turned on the general a look of eager inquiry. Some mystery, certainly, said he, with which I am not to be made acquainted. If there be any mystery, said the general, with which you are not to be made acquainted, I am neither the adviser nor a better. Neither in jest nor earnest am I ever an adviser of mystery. While her husband thus spoke, Lady Cecilia made another attempt to possess herself of the letter. This time she rose decidedly, and putting aside the little acarte table, which was in her way, pressed forward to the drawer saying something about counters. Her cashmere caught on Helen's harp, and in her eager spring forward it would have been overset but that the general felt turned and caught it. What are you about, my dear Cecilia? What do you want? Nothing, nothing. Thank you, my dear. Nothing now. Then she did not dare to open the drawer, or to let him open it, and anxiously drew away his attention by pointing to a footstool which she seemed to want. Could not you ask me for it, my dear, without disturbing yourself? What are men made for? Beauclerc, after a sort of absent effort to join in quest of the footstool, had returned eagerly to the picture, and looking at it more closely, he saw the letter CD written in small characters in one corner. And just as his eye turned to the other corner, Lady Cecilia, recollecting what initials were there, started up and snatched it from his hand. Oh, Granville, cried she, you must not look at this picture any more till I have done something to it. Beauclerc was trying to catch another look at it when Cecilia cried out, take it helen take it and she held it up on high but as she held it though she turned the face from him she forgot quite forgot that colonel d'abonnet had written his name on the back of the picture and there it was in distinct characters such as be plainly read at that height poor henry d'abonnet beauclerc saw and gave one glance at helen he made no further attempt to reach the picture lady cecilia not aware of what he had seen repeated helen helen why don't you take it now now helen could not stir the general took the picture from his wife's hand gave it to miss stanley without looking at her and said to lady cecilia pray keep yourself quiet cecilia you have done enough too much to-day sit down said he rolling her armchair close and seating her keep yourself quiet i beg i beg in the tone of i insist she sat down, but catching a view of Beauclerc, was alarmed by his aspect, and Helen, her head was bent down behind the harp. Lady Cecilia did not know yet distinctly what had happened. The general pressed her to lean back on the cushions, which he was piling up behind her. Beauclerc made a step towards Helen, but checking himself, turned to the acarte table. Those counters, after all, that we were looking for, as he spoke, he pulled open the drawer, the general with his back to him, standing before Lady Cecilia. She could not see what Beauclerc was doing, but she heard the drawer open and cried out, Not there, Beauclerc, no counters there, you need not look there. But before she spoke, he had given a sudden pull to the drawer, which brought it quite out, all the contents fell upon the floor, and there was the fatal letter, open, and the words, My dear, 
to dear Henry, instantly met his eyes. He looked no farther. But in that single glance, the writing seemed to him to be Lady Cecilia's. And quick, his eye turned upon her. She kept perfectly quiet and appeared to him perfectly composed. His eye then darted in search of Helen. She had sunk upon a seat behind the harp. Through the harp strings, he caught a glimpse of her face. All pale, crimsoned, it grew as he advanced. She rose instantly, took up the letter, and without speaking or looking at anyone, tore it to pieces. Beauclair in motionless astonishment, Lady Cecilia breathed again. The general's countenance expressed, I interfere no farther. He left the room, and Beauclair, without another look at Helen, followed him. For some moments after Lady Cecilia and Helen were left alone, there was a dead silence. Lady Cecilia sat with her eyes fixed upon the door through which her husband and Beauclair had passed. She thought that Beauclair might return, but when she found that he did not, she went to Helen, who had covered her face with her hands. My dearest friend, said Lady Cecilia, thank you, thank you. You did the best that was possible. Oh, Cecilia, exclaimed Helen, to what have you exposed me? How did it all happen, continued Cecilia? Why was not that letter burnt with the rest? How came it there? Can you tell me? I do not know, said Helen. I cannot recollect. But after some effort, she remembered that in the morning, while the general had been talking to her, she had, in her confusion, when she took the packet, laid picture and that letter beside her on the arm of the chair. She had, in her hurry of putting the other letters into her bag, forgotten this and the picture, and she supposed that they had fallen between the chair and the wall, and that they had been found and put into the table drawer by one of the servants. Helen was hastening out of the room. Cecilia detained her. Do not go, my dear, for that would look as if you were guilty, and you know you are innocent. At the first sound of your harp, Beauclair will return. Only command yourself for one hour or two. Yes, it will only be for an hour or two, said Helen, brightening with hope. You will tell the general tonight. Do you think Granville will come back? Where is the harp key? I dropped it. Here it is. She began to tune the harp. Crack went one string, then another. That is lucky, said Lady Cecilia. It will give you something to do, my love, if the people come in. The aide-de-camp entered. I thought I heard harp strings going, said he. Several, yes, said Lady Cecilia, standing full in his way. Inauspicious sounds for us. Had omens for my embassy. Mrs. Holdernese sent me. I know, said Lady Cecilia, and you will have the goodness to tell her that Miss Stanley's harp is unstrung. Can I be of any use, Miss Stanley, said he, moving towards the harp. No, no, cried Lady Cecilia. You are in my service. Attend to me. Dear me, Lady Cecilia, I did not hear what you said. That is, what I complain of. Hear me now. I am all attention, I am sure. What are your commands? She gave him as many as his head could hold. A long message to Mrs. Holdernese, and to Miss Holdernese, and Miss Anna, about their music books, which had been left in the carriage and were to be sent for, and duets to be played, and glees, for the Major and Lady Anne Ruthven. Good heavens, I cannot remember any more, cried the aide-de-camp. Then go off and say and do all before you come back again, said Lady Cecilia. What amazing presence of mind you have, said Helen. How can you say so much and think of everything? 
The aide-de-camp performed all her behest to admiration and was rewarded by promotion to the high office of turnover general of the leaves of the music books, an office requiring, as her ladyship remarked to Miss Holdernese, prompt eye and ear, all his distinguished gallantry. By such compliments she fixed him to the pianoforte. While his curiosity and all his feelings be subordinate to his vanity were prevented from straying to Miss Stanley and her harp-stringing, a work still doing, still to do. All the arrangements succeeded as Lady Cecilia's arrangements usually did. Helen heard the eternal buzz of conversation and the clang of instruments, and then the harmony of music. All as in a dream, or as at the theater, when the thoughts are absent or the feelings preoccupied. And in this dreamy state she performed the operation of putting in harp strings quite well. And when she was at last called upon by Cecilia, who gave her due notice and time, she sat and played automatically without soul or spirit, but so do so many others. It passed charmingly till a door softly opened behind her, and she saw the shadow on the wall, and someone stood and passed from behind her. There was an end of her playing, however, from her, just dread of making a scene. She commanded herself so powerfully that except her timidity, nothing was observed by the company, and that timidity was pitied by the good-natured Mrs. Holdernese, who said to her daughter, Anne, we must not press Miss Stanley any more. She, who is always so obliging, is tired now. She then made way for Helen to pass, who, thanking her with such a look as might be given for a life saved, quitted the harp, and the crowd, closing behind her happily, thought of her no more. She retreated to the darkest spot of the room and sat down. She did not dare look towards what she most wished to see. Her eyes were fixed upon the face of the young lady singing, and yet she saw not one feature of that face, while she knew without looking, or seeming to look, exactly where Beauclair stood. He had stationed himself in a doorway, into the drawing-room. There, leaning back against the wall, he stood and never stirred. Helen was so anxious to get one clear view of the expression of his countenance, that at last she ventured to move a little. And from behind the broad back of a great man she looked, Beauclair's eyes met hers. How different from their expression when they were sitting on the bank together but a few short hours before. He left the doorway instantly and placed himself where Helen could see him no more. Of all the rest of what passed this evening she knew nothing. She felt only a sort of astonishment at everybody's gaiety, and a sense of the time being intolerably long. She thought that all these people never would go away, that their carriages never would be announced. But before it came to that time, General Clarendon insisted upon Lady Cecilia's retiring. I must, said he, play the tyrant, Cecilia. You have done too much today. Mrs. Holdernese shall hold your place. He carried Cecilia off, and Helen thought or fancied that he looked about for her. Glad to escape, she followed close behind. The general did not offer his arm or appear to notice her. When she came to the door leading to the staircase, there was Beauclair standing with folded arms as in the music room he just bowed his head and wished lady cecilia a good night and waited without a word for helen to pass or not to pass as she thought fit she saw by his look that he expected explanation but till she knew what cecilia meant to do how could she explain to say nothing 
to bear to be suspected was all she could do without betraying her friend that word betray that thought ruled her she passed him good night she could not then say he bowed as she passed and she heard no good night sound and there was the general in the hall to be passed also before she could reach the staircase up which cecilia was going when he saw helen with a look of surprise as it seemed to her of disapproving surprise he said are you going miss stanley the look the tone struck cold to her heart he continued though i drove cecilia away i did not mean to drive you away too it is early is it i thought it was very late no and if you can i hope you will return there was a meaning in his eye which she well understood thank you said she if i can certainly i hope you can and will oh thank you but i must first see cecilia she was going to say but afraid of implicating her she changed the sentence to i must first consider consider what the devil thought he and his countenance was instantly angrily suited to the thought helen hesitated do not let me detain distressed you farther miss stanley unavailingly and since i shall not have the pleasure of seeing you again this evening concluded he in a constrained voice i have the honor to wish you a good night he returned to the music room end of volume the third chapter one recording by chad diaz the second